Hey, this is Oscar Nunez, and you're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 47, Retro, Office Olympics. Hey, hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is the one where Michael buys a condo. What do you mean you've seen this? Brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun. You'll find out. That's what she said. Time circuit's on. That's what she said. Flux capacitor. Flexing. That's what she said. Let's count it down. Three, two, one. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Jim, they refer to it as Lonkerton. Grace Cross! And welcome to episode 47 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the third episode of Season 2, entitled Office Olympics, which originally aired Thursday, October 4th, 2005. Ladies, 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 and gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the games, games of the first Thunder Mifflin Olympiad. Michael's in the market for a condo. Or is that a coffin? Man, these babies are thin. Well, Michael and Dwight are away. The office will play. Flonkerton, that is. Jim unites the office by goofing off. Assuages Michael's fears and becomes the world's first professional pam-ponger. Is there anything this guy can't do? Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? what she said um joining me here as always the butch cassidy to my mozart kevin crossman (laughs) how's it going kevin kevin do you have olympic fever you know i might have olympic fever if i wasn't so hungover from the 080808 party (laughs) i you know i drank too much but i had to do it because you know those things only come out around once every billion years years or something yeah well yeah that's true i gotta say and uh as you may have noticed, we sort of skipped the sexual harassment episode and went straight into Office Olympics for obvious reasons here. The Olympics 2008 full swing, and Kevin and I really couldn't care less, i got to say. I've never <laughs> never been a fan of the Olympics ever in my life. I don't really know why. It might have something to do with a scarring incident back when I was a kid where during the uh, 84 Olympics, my parents basically bought me uh, about 350 pieces of Olympic clothing, shorts, <laughs> shirts, pull-off sweats, gym bag. It, it was ridiculous. It was all I basically all I got for an entire Christmas was a bunch of <laughs> Olympic-themed crap that I had no desire to own. So that might have scarred me for life. I'm not sure. In any case, uh, while I might not really care too much about the pollution levels in Beijing, here we are. We do have a delightful games of the first Dunder Mifflin Olympiad are certainly enough to uh, make those bad memories go away. And I have to say, 
that doing these last couple of retro episodes, Kevin, is that, God damn, this show is good. <laughs> no, yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm not totally into the Olympics, although it is nice that maybe some eyeballs get on some of those office promos they might be running from time to time. <laughs> but I, I agree. You know, this episode is such a great episode. And all these early ones from season two are just fantastic. And, you know, you're, I think you have this list of all these first things. And it's such a blast to go back and see these early episodes and see the first time they mentioned, you know, Moe's or the, the Sebring or whatever else. Right. Steve Carell, you know, he won the uh, Golden Globe shortly after this episode aired in January of 2006. And, man, this was, you know, one of his finer moments early in season two. Right. Well, this, continuing on from the Dundies, I mean, as we said the last time, um, season two really takes a direct hard turn away from the British office and really starts to stake its own territory. This episode... And this is kind of what we've complained about sometimes in season four and in season three. This episode has a almost 50-50 A plot, B plot split where Michael and Dwight are doing one thing. They have their storyline. They get their time. They get their jokes. Um, the rest of the office gets spotlighted in their side of the story. You know, they get their jokes, their moments, and it all kind of then weaves back together at the end. So this is one of my definitely one of my series favorites as you mentioned before let me just put a couple things up here first off this episode was directed by paul feig who has uh joined actually the cast uh or has joined the crew here for season five on a more permanent basis uh also written by one of my favorite writers mike Schur, of course cousin mose and we have a lot of firsts in fact this is as far as i know this is the very first cold open uh, of the show's history we get that little mini story in there where Ryan brings Michael his uh, <laughs> bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit there mm -hmm. in the morning. Um, that was definitely, you know, had, had we've talked about cold opens before. It really didn't have anything to do with the plot, but still felt very funny, very apropos of the business kind of atmosphere. You know, it wasn't totally off the wall. You could really see that. You mm -hmm. can really believe that that would happen in this whole app. Michael's attitude, well, you have the whole office for three hours, you know, take off your pants, run around, <laughs> go crazy. <laughs> uh, I'll just be napping. I guess that explains why Ryan is kind of a, a grumpy guy later in this episode as well. <laughs> well, he's pretty much of a go-getter for a temp, I guess, to get up at uh, 6 a.m. and bring Michael his biscuit. So yes, there you go. <laughs> so first cold open, first reference to Dwight in the beet farm. And the little picture of Cousin Moe's, of course, that is Mike Schur in the picture, uh, although he is sans beard, I'll have you know, in this mm -hmm. first appearance. Also, of course, the first appearance of Carol Stills, who will play a bigger, much bigger role in Michael's life in Season 3. First mention of Michael's condo uh, and the plasma screen, which will play such a big part in the dinner party episode in Season 4. Um, we get our Olympic yogurt lids, of course, which will be referenced then in the Season 3 finale, The Job. Also, the first appearance of The Sebring. B.J. Novak, at the time that this episode was airing, was doing a blog for TV Guide at the time, and he mentioned that uh, the production company, the guys in charge, brought in a bunch of different pictures for possible cars for Michael to have, and they figured that the Sebring was a lock because it was the flashiest car that someone like Michael could actually afford, and... Uh, you know, he wouldn't care that it was uh, a convertible or whatever. He just thought that was part of his great character personality. Yes. Um, <laughs> a few other things I thought were really interesting at the time that uh, in the blog, in fact, B.J. Novak mentions that 
after the Office Olympics that NBC gave the show an order for seven more episodes. <laughs> it's hard for us to think about this at the time, and if you weren't watching from the very beginning or following this stuff, this show was living on a prayer. Season two started out big. They had the lead-in for My Name is Earl, and the, the numbers were up there, so they, they actually, you know... <laughs> Gave them seven episodes. They didn't even have a full season commitment at this time uh, to make it through. So it's kind of ironic how they've come from sort of these just on the edge of their seat kind of production there to almost one of NBC's cornerstones in their programming department. Yeah, it tells you how far things have fallen over at NBC. <laughs> or how far that uh, the office has risen, I guess. Depends a on little bit above. Point of view there. Um, otherwise, well, so like I said, a lot of history involved, a lot of great lines. Everybody kind of got their moment in the sun, and I don't, I don't know if you noticed this, Kevin, that uh, at this point, there there's still two random office people who we don't know. I don't know if you noticed yeah, them I, in the background. I was trying to figure out who those people were, so I, I guess it is random at this point. Well, the one I'm, I'm assuming that I think the one guy was Devin, the guy that we see that gets fired in the Halloween episode. But there's this one gray-haired lady that is uh, in the, the closing ceremony scenes. No idea who she is or who she was supposed to be. But we kind of talked about that before. You know, they were, originally they were kind of thinking to have some people that were just kind of going to be in the background. And as the show progressed, they wheedled it down there. So everybody really had a name and a part and a character and a backstory and everything. So, mm-hmm. so long to the uh, anonymous <laughs> office employees. Apparently, again, this comes from some other information. Apparently the, uh, the, the inspiration for this episode uh, was that Greg Daniels, during his time working on the King of the Hill show often had office Olympic style events with some of the people in his staff room translated very well into uh, the office atmosphere. All right. Well, let's kick it off here. Michael at the beginning, a couple different things going on, but Michael has a really big decision to make today. I, Michael Scott, am becoming a homeowner investing in real estate, diversifying smart. Yes, it is. Final walkthrough. Mm-hmm. Sign the papers at the condo. You have your lawyer there. Uh, I don't need one. Can I be a representative? I don't need representative. I think I should be there. No, no. No, I'm good. I can make sure things are up to no, code. No, Dwight. Please, Fine. I'm always the guy that you rely on at work. Well, this isn't about work. This is closing on a condo. It's completely personal. So you're taking a personal day? <clears throat> Except that this is about my living arrangement, and as boss, I need to have a living arrangement in order to do work. Please. Okay, fine. Yes, you can come. Yes. I have been Michael's number two guy for about five years, and we make a great team. We're like one of those classic, famous teams. He's like Mozart, and I'm like Mozart's friend. No, I'm like Butch Cassidy, and Michael is like Mozart. You try and hurt Mozart, you're going to get a bullet in your head, courtesy of Butch Cassidy. Uh, It's a classic. (laughs) Classic early Dwightism there. That's got to go down. I forgot about how hilarious that line was. You know, it's kind of funny to hear Dwight talk about being number two for five years in retrospect, looking back now, because we know that Dwight is not number two anymore. And you can even see in this episode, we'll talk about it at the end later, but Jim is the guy who makes Michael feel good, and Dwight is the guy who makes Michael feel bad. And maybe <laughs> that's why Dwight is not number two anymore. Well, or he might not ever have been number two, except in his mind. But, you know, the, the, the thing is that that scene that we just played right there, that was a very, actually, British office. Cause I, I, I've seen a lot of those kind of scenes in the British version with, 
with David Brent talking and Gareth sitting there right behind him and making these little comments. It gets a little weirder to see those kind of exchanges the more they go on, the more that Michael kind of hates Dwight. I guess it makes less and less sense that he would be so up in his business. Um, mm-hmm. At this point in the series, he's, you know, he is the number two guy. We haven't gotten into all that whole office politics kind of stuff, really, so far. Well, the other funny thing, too, is that Michael is talking about this big, momentous occasion. He's, you know, he's buying a condo, right? I mean, he's <laughs> not buying the biggest state on the hill. So, just like Michael Scott to always overinflate anything he's doing. Well, but we, we know his paycheck, so this might have been actually quite a big deal. Oh, I'm sure it was a big deal. But <laughs> if you and I bought a house, I don't know that it would be, come on, this is the big news of the day. Uh, well, you know, it's a condo. Let me ask you a question, Kevin. Are you currently, are you a homeowner? I am a homeowner. Well, I am not, so I'll have to ask you these questions now. Did this at all strike you as true? Uh, did you get any cold feet when you're going to sign the papers on your house? Oh, I think we all get cold feet from time to time. The whole, you know, you think you know what the deal is and there's some sort of hidden clause and that whole thing. Yeah, it's very true to life. Um, the, <laughs> is this supposed the, to come of off? Course, of course, the fact that Michael chose the prettiest real estate agent in town to help him, of course, that is not at all surprising. You know, that, that was all very realistic. I'll have to take your word for it there. Uh, Michael definitely, uh, that's, that's the running gag then through this series. He's so pumped to go sign his contract, to sign his papers, and, and, and to be a, a property owner so he can get his full voting rights. <laughs> and uh, they have that little discussion. Exactly. They have that little discussion in there where uh, Dwight talks about how they should bring back the stocks. <laughs> <laughs> to, to shame people and whatever, and uh, and yeah, he goes into his uh, his new neighborhood. And he's all ready to go and everything else. And then Dwight, uh, like Dwight, kind of does. He's he's sort of the expert guy. He kind of in that expert mode that he we saw him in last season uh, several times here, where he's kind of like you know the guy that really knows what's going on. Criticizes his mortgage. Criticizes uh, the construction. Criticizes basically everything that there is to criticize. All right. Yeah, well, pathetically. Still can't stay away from Michael, right? <laughs> yeah, that is true. Well, here uh, Michael arrives in front of his condo and gives us a little tour. Home sweet home. Which one's yours? Right there. My sanctuary, my party pad. Someday I can just see my grandkids learning how to walk out here. Hang on. Swing from this tree, push them back. No, it's this one right here. Home sweet home. This is smaller than your old place. Yes, well, I'm buying it and I'm not renting it. So it's still an upgrade. He doesn't know anything about property ownership. I'm kind of an idiot. Um, Actually, I do own property. My grandfather left me a 60-acre working beet farm. I run it with my cousin Mose. We sell beets to local stores and restaurants. It's a nice little farm. Sometimes teenagers use it for sex. And there we have that little line, too, where this shows up later on in the series, where he's yes. chasing the teenagers out of the beet farm. <laughs> um, so, I don't know, a, a lot of comment there on Michael's weaving this fabulous tale about how he's going to spend the rest of his life here, and he doesn't really remember which model is his. Right, right. <laughs> and his doesn't even have a tree up front, so... Exactly. And the trees, by the way, are like three feet tall. <laughs> Well, by the time he has grandkids, they'll be big. Yeah, that, I guess but, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it's not in a bad condo. I mean, it looks pretty nice. But, uh, yeah, Dwight talking about the beet farm like it's the greatest thing in the world, I think that's kind of just the funny, ironic joke there because who would want to 
have a <laughs> own a beet farm. I guess Michael is actually smarter than we give him credit for later in the episode. We'll hear that clip later. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, you got to be a little bit jealous, I guess. I am anyway. Dwight has the big house. He had a big plot of land. You know, he's all set. He's got a working farm. He's, uh, you know, an assistant deputy. He's he's all sorts of stuff, man. He's he's the Renaissance man. Yeah, but he's only got one bathroom. <laughs> and it is, yeah, under the porch. <laughs> all right, well, um... Here's the thing, man. Michael uh, goes inside the house, gives us a little bit of a tour, and uh, fortunately his feet start to get a little bit cold. This, my friends, is the master bedroom. I am going to totally pimp this place out. I'm going to put a plasma screen right against this Ooh, wall. Oh, terrible I'm idea. putting my bed right over no, here. No, 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 no. This is a shared wall. <sighs> Neighbor throws his wife into the wall. Plasma screen hits the floor, totally smashed. Well, then I will get a warranty. Warranties don't cover it. Plus, they're a ripoff. Well, then I won't get a warranty. Well, so that's the problem. Is fault. What? Listen. Can you hear that? Oh man, these babies are thin. What kind of mortgage did you get? Uh, ten year. Well, ten over thirty, so thirty year total. Oh, thirty years. Okay. Okay. Wow, <laughs> you'll be paying this off in your mid seventies. All right. <laughs> Forget about retiring when you're 65. A 30-year mortgage at Michael's age essentially means that he's buying a coffin. If I were buying my coffin, I would get one with thicker walls so you couldn't hear the other dead people. Dwight is the ultimate spoiler, the ultimate uh, mood killer. There, I gotta say. <laughs> so, uh, Matt, how many times have you had your neighbor throw their wife into the wall? Um, well, I've heard some pretty loud, raucous sexual activity, but I haven't had any... Uh, wall throwing as far as I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. So I mean <laughs> well, he's, it like it's like it's like an everyday occurrence. <laughs> planning ahead, man. That's why he's uh, that's why he's Dwight Schrute. What was that line from Andy Bernard? I'm like a I'm like a carpenter always thinking one step ahead. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, you know, I should have gone back and looked at the dinner party episode to kind of see if this all kind of linked up. Is this the exact same condo that we see in the dinner party? You know, I didn't do my research either. I was hungover. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Um, maybe one, maybe some of our listeners could uh, post on the blog page if they uh, saw any similarities. Or I, I'm tending to think this is probably not the same condo now. I'm sort of trying to picture everything in my mind. But... Yeah, you know, it could just be camera angles or whatever. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm I'm tending to agree with you. Anyway, <laughs> I'll let somebody else. Yeah, somebody else can write in and tell us that they're smarter than we are or paid more attention anyway. So this is the thing now. Michael is you hear him in the clips hyperventilating. <laughs> He's basically freaking out. You know, this is uh, his first big move, big adult move here. Everything that's possibly wrong, Dwight's pointing out. He's like, you know, carpenter ants. <laughs> you know, is this supposed to come out? You know, Michael's reaching out. Oh, show me the different place. The ceilings are lower, all these kind of things. And so he's trying to weasel his way out of the deal here. And I, I got to say, this uh, the way that this scene plays out is a hilarious kind of turn. Great editing in this scene. Exactly. Ceilings are lower than they were last week. That I don't. And Michael, where, this is the unit. Where are all the hot people? I was told that there would be all these attractive singles, Who and as far as that? I can tell, I'm the best-looking person here. Is this a financial thing? If it's a financial thing, what some people do is they rent out the third bedroom. No, and that's no, 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 no. I'm not you. going to rent the third bedroom. I want a price reduction, or I am a walking. You will lose seven thousand dollars if you walk away right now. I made the right decision. 
I'm glad I signed. So I'm a homeowner, right? Good to be a homeowner. Diversifying, there's a good. This is fun. We're having fun. Totally having fun. Can you imagine those poor saps stuck at the office today? <laughs> <laughs> a couple of great lines there, of course. The uh, imagine the poor saps stuck at the office. Tour. <laughs> and then they, they do another uh, great cut to them. You know, having some hilarious, fun adventure, and then, but that, yeah, go back to what I was trying to get at before that that moment right in there where he kind of, you know, he's trying to get all tough and make a stand, and oh, I'm I'm walking off, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. All these things are wrong, and this tells him it's gonna cost him seven grand, and then that hilarious then jump cut to him sitting there, you know, wolfing down a burrito, talking about how he's so happy with his decision <laughs> and he made the right choice. Oh man. Yeah, well, that's the way Michael Scott, you know, operates. He's <laughs> If he has food in his stomach and he feels like he's doing the right thing, and the guy he's trying to put on a uh, happy face for his coffin buying experience. Man, you remember from uh, was it Money, where he put his condo on eBay or whatever for ten thousand or what he paid for it? Yes. <laughs> whatever happened to that? Did they ever explain how he didn't lose his house? All these, you know, mortgage issues. Maybe no one gave him his bidding price. So there you go, Michael. He's uh, kind of made peace with the fact that he's got to buy the house. He's happy, but of course he's not really happy. And despite what he just said to Carol before, he uh, he has a little proposal for Dwight. There's something else, Dwight. I have a surprise for you for helping me out today. Oh, you didn't have to. No, no, I insist. I insist because you've really done some great work. Great work. And that is why I am going to let you move into my third bedroom and pay me rent. I don't even know what to say. I'm thinking lock into a four-year commitment. We'll go month to month after that. Or until I start dating, have a girlfriend, and then you're, you know, you're gone. So, question. (laughs) Where can I put my terrarium? Uh, That will not come into this place, okay? Question. My grandparents left me a large number of armoires. Question. What about carpooling? Uh, who pays for the gas? We take separate cars. Good question, because sometimes I drive your car and you drive mine. Why would we do that? Just for fun? No. Good question. Who is the primary on the fire insurance? <laughs> Game over! Offer revolt, Dwight. I'm sorry, but you reach out and you try to be a nice guy and help out a friend, and this is what happened. This is what I get. Thank God. It was nice of him to offer, but I live in a nine-bedroom farmhouse. I have my own crossbow range. It's a perfect situation for me. Although two bathrooms would have been nice. We just have the one. And it's under the porch. I'm doing you a favor here. <laughs> you see what it gets me? Lock you into that four-year deal. <laughs> and oh, my God. Uh, question. 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 <laughs> and then the, just the exasperation of Michael Scott. Oh, that exactly. What cracks me up. I mean, we're still at the phase at this point where we really... We could see why the hell Dwight was annoying and why he deserved to be pranked. By Jim and yes. Pam, and this was prime uh, prime example here. Even though Michael is really being an asshole, <laughs> you know, I'll say it, Dwight. I'm gonna lock you in there for four years, and that's just well, unless I get a girlfriend, and then you're out the door. But otherwise, I guess, despite you know, Dwight, maybe he would have gone for it if uh, if Michael would have allowed him to trade cars. So, do you think that Dwight really did want to be in the room or really did not want to be in the room? Well, I don't know. Based on his questioning and based on everything else, he seemed like he was kind of down for it. So, I don't know. Maybe he, uh, maybe he's just temporarily kind of dazzled by the prospect of living with Michael, his idol. But and so, then his statement later is just spin? 
Well, maybe he came to his senses, you know. Okay. He, uh, <laughs> with that, which is a great offer being out on the table, you know, once it's revoked, and he could kind of relax and realize that, you know, he, he's not going to have his crossbow range in anything <laughs> else there, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was talking about, though. Like we were trying to, you know, you you mentioned before about how Dwight was living on this crummy farm or whatever. But I think that's they're trying to set up a counterpoint there that Dwight has this big ass giant house. Michael's little piddly condo is kind of sad by comparison. I guess. <laughs> I don't know uh, if I agree with that. Teachers, <laughs> I suppose. Well, so there you go. And uh, Michael, of course, then revokes the offer. And as they're driving back. Uh, really kind of lays into Dwight even more. You know, you can always refinance your mortgage. We had a 15-year on our beet farm. We paid it off early. Yeah, well, you know what? Nobody cares about your stupid beet farm. Beets are the worst. People love beets. Nobody likes beets. Everyone loves beets. Nobody likes beets, Dwight. Why don't you grow something that everybody does like? You should grow candy. I'd love a piece of candy right now. Not a beat. Let's get this roof going. Ow. And we get, the, of course, that whole business earlier with Dwight and the convertible and everything else. Kind of yeah. echoes uh, Michael trying to take down the uh, <laughs> the roof or take down the convertible top on the PT Cruiser before Jan has to give her big testimony. Well, anytime you put Dwight and Michael in a car, it is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> or <laughs> recipe for comedy gold. Oh, I suppose. And... That scene was just hilarious, too. I love that, you know, you should grow candy. <laughs> yeah, it's a typical Michael kind of stupid guy response. But I, I do agree, <laughs> beats are the worst. <laughs> yeah, typical, you know, Michael's still upset, obviously, despite the fact that he didn't want to lose the seven grand and try to kind of psych himself out. He's uh, still not very happy and definitely not very happy with Dwight. And we'll get back to Michael and Dwight then later on in uh, in the episode here, but... While, as we said before, while Michael and Dwight are away, of course, Michael tells Pam to have everyone get these expense reports done that they have to get done, and, well, Jim is not taking it too well. Every so often, Jim dies of boredom, and uh, our deal is that it's up to me to revive him. You see Dwight's coffee mug? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when he's not here, I try to throw stuff in it. No way. Let's do this. Oh. Here, great paper clips. What does 2005 season mean? <laughs> Wait a minute, what is this? The scoreboard. What? Kevin and I play this paper football game when Michael's out. Really? Yeah. Or when we're bored. Oh my god! Wait, this goes back two years. We're bored a lot. Oh! oh sweet. Yes! <laughs> so close. <laughs> I really love the uh, paper triangle flicking and hitting things game. Yeah. We call it hate ball. Why? Because of how much Angela hates it. Hey, do you guys have any other games? Sometimes we play who can put the most M&Ms in their mouth. You play that. You should ask Toby to teach you Dunderball. So that's what the sound is all day. (laughs) (laughs) Stanley. Just played Dunderball with Toby. What about you? You got any games? Yeah, I got a game. It's called Work Hard so my kids can go to college. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so before Stanley kind of craps on Jim's party there, uh, <laughs> Jim makes the rounds of the office, finds all these little interesting games uh, that everyone plays to spend their time. Of course, the paper football is a grade school classic for any 
red-blooded male in this country. Absolutely. I played that all the time. <laughs> and, and the, uh, you know, some of these games, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that could actually happen in an office. Right. And especially the, the in the paper, you know, the, the cup with Pam, I think that's hilarious. And it's I think it, this is, shows you the charm of Jim Halpert early in season two. He is kind of, you know, Mr. Popular in the office and going around and trying to see what everybody's doing. This is classic stuff for Jim and Pam. It's so great back to go back and look at this fondly. Right, and it's, uh, like I said, I was trying to kind of get this across before, that this episode, part of the reason why I really like it and I think really why it stands out as such a great episode is that it, it, it has a very authentic feel to it. You and I and Ian, before you, criticize a lot of the kind of excesses of the show where they get off the track with uh, kidnapping pizza boys and driving into lakes and such. But, I mean, there's not a single thing in this episode that really rings false. That couldn't happen in anybody's daily office here. So, yeah, uh, very it's not a relatable. cartoon at this point. Yeah. Exactly. Very very relatable. Even, uh, even Flenderson is not really kind of reaching that really hate <laughs> hateful point, you know, he's kind of this laid back guy in this episode playing uh, playing his dunderball. <laughs> and in the deleted scenes, he goes into actually much more detail about the rules of dunderball and the fact that he has this piece of tape on the wall <laughs> and everything else. Jim is definitely the golden boy. He's the guy here who is our surrogate, uh, looking for something fun. Despite Stanley's uh, negative Nellyism there, he decides to organize the gang into uh, much bigger and better Sporting activities. Dum 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 This scented candle, ando ando, which I found in the men's bathroom room room, represents the eternal burning of competition or something. It smells like cookies. Yes, it does. Yes, it does, my friend. Okay, we will be competing for gold, silver, and bronze yogurt lids. Let the games begin! So did you pick up the sound of Kevin's voice that totally doesn't sound like his voice anymore? Oh, which one was that? No, Kevin, the way he talks, it's completely different from, well, not completely different, but very, very noticeably different from the way he speaks in later in season two and into season three and four. It, it's so? a little bit more normal. It's not quite as uh, deliberate in its uh, slowness, I think. Well, that's true. And I think that's Kevin is getting to be, as uh, they said in that one Simpsons episode, I think Kevin's getting dumber every year. Uh, <laughs> he's, I mean, he started out, and there's a classic Kevin line. It smells like cookies. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, it does, my friend. That was a classic Kevin line, but yeah, he's not quite as quite the, the idiot man-child that he is in, for example, the uh, the webisodes. Um, <laughs> I think those those Kevin's loans webisodes are the pinnacle of Kevin's. How are you going to say this? His uh, mental deficiencies. Uh, <laughs> that sort of makes his, um, you know, Holly. I don't think is really maybe that far off the mark. Right. Based on the way that he's playing that character in that scene. So, uh, in any case, yeah, he's a little less of uh, a man-child, perhaps. So there's our rules. They get it all rigged up, and Pam and Jim are spending a lot of effort. You know, the the patented yogurt lid with the, the paperclip chain there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I love to be involved, and I think that's part of why this episode really 
works here and why everyone is having such a good time because you work all day you're in an office you know you'd love to stop and have a little fun getting some medals and goofing around and doing all these wacky little events definitely envious there of the fun being had in the office now this coming up here has got to be one of the most quoted lines you have what is the national sport of icelandic paper companies and i'm blanking on the name could you help me out pam Jim, they refer to it as Lunkerton. Hmm. In English, box of paper snowshoe racing. Fair enough, but I like Flunkerton. The thing about Jim is when he's excited about something, like the Office Olympics, he gets really into it and he does a really great job. But the problem with Jim is that he works here, so that hardly ever happens. So a couple of great points in that in that clip I want to talk about. First off, of course, everyone's favorite Icelandic paper company sport, Flonkerton. They had at the uh, office convention last fall. They had a uh, you know actual real live people try to compete in Flonkerton. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I didn't watch it. I don't think they. Uh, I think they took the paper out of it or the, you know the reams out of the boxes though. Well, you get a lot of injuries with Flonkerton injuries with with the paper included. Did you pull a hammy or something like that? Well, that's pretty stressful. It's a lot of weight to move with your feet. That's why you can see Phyllis and Kevin. They're not making too much progress when they're uh, going through there. But you know, one interesting point, Kevin. I want to kind of bring that up there, Pam. Pam uh, kind of criticizes Jim, and I think it's uh, a, sort of a first in the series where we get her kind of acknowledging what we've seen in up, in season four and five that Jim is kind of a slacker, and then he doesn't put his heart into things, and he you know, well he puts his heart into the things that don't really get him anywhere in uh, in his career, sort of like myself, I guess. But uh, but there you, you know, go. I totally did, I totally didn't take that as a critique of Jim, but more of a critique of Dunder Mifflin and the fact that. Jim has this job that's kind of boring and stupid. You know, obviously there's some degree of critique about, well, if Jim really wanted to do something, he could get a different job. But well, I, thought, I, 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 I didn't. I did not take that as a Jim's a slacker, do nothing. But that you know, it's too bad that that the Jim I know can't have a real cool job where he can be this enthusiastic all the time. But instead, well, he's stuck here because this is his job. He has to. Has no, to I mean, I'm 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 agreeing with you. I'm I'm not saying that she's overtly saying that he's a slacker or a loser or anything there. But I mean, that really kind of hits at one of the central tenets of Jim's character that he doesn't put himself into his job, and there's good reasons perhaps why, because it's a crappy, boring job, but still, she recognizes the fact that he is kind of spinning his wheels. The guy did make two sales at lunch, so... <laughs> well, yeah, this is kind of the irony, I guess, at the end of the episode here, where he says it's just as productive as any other day. And, yeah, I mean, it's true. You know, I, I love, like I said, I, I went on record last season, season three, people telling me that I'm a gym hater, but uh, I, I love Jim Halpert in season two. I, I think it's just a nice little kind of gentle nudge there to the rest of us that he's a guy that shouldn't be there. He's definitely got potential he's not using, that's for sure. A couple other points then in this next scene here. This is sort of, we haven't really gotten too much of the kind of Angela the super bitch character in season one. And uh, we get a little bit of that here. And this directly leads into the other continuing plotline here in season two where Pam kind of scopes out Angela and Dwight's malfeasance. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to play? I'm sure. Okay, Come go. on, Angela, don't you have a game? I have one, yes. Well, let's play. What is it? I call it Pam Pong. I count how many times Jim gets up from his desk and goes to reception to talk to you. Now you're We're friends. 
Apparently. Done. Very nicely done. Okay, so I think that's H-O-R for Stanley and H-O for Phyllis. Are you calling me a hoe? Oh, my God. Phyllis coming alive. I like it. Man, so there you go, Pam Pong. <laughs> and we get this kind of little, we get this nice follow-up scene later on where Jim comes up and talks to her, and then you see Angela over in the corner making some little check mark on one piece of paper. Exactly. And this is where I, I, you know, again, this is kind of the point where Pam is made to feel a little self-conscious about their relationship, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I think at this point she doesn't really feel that badly about it and she doesn't take it too seriously, but definitely, like I said, later on in season two where she has the opportunity to talk about what's going on with Dwight and Angela, Phyllis says something about how it's her and Jim and she's kind of all, you know, affronted with that stuff, but here you go, kind of laying that base, I guess, that maybe it's not quite uh, as innocent as we, or as she, I guess might think it is. No, and I think that that moment works really well just on its own in this episode. Even if you came in, this was the first Office episode you ever saw, you could, you could get that moment, but it does play really well into the season story arc, and of course that's one of the hallmarks of season two is that all of those moments work really well individually, but also in, as part of the season as well. Okay, well, as we, uh, we're going to get an intersection here of our two plot lines. Um, Everyone is having fun at the office. They just keep coming up with more and more events. They have the, uh, you know, guess who's going to get off the elevator event. A few other things. I'm trying to think what else we've, we haven't shown or talked about so far. Oh, Kevin's uh, M&M mouth-stuffing yes. competition. <laughs> All right, well, and uh, here we go. Uh, last event, we're having a coffee mug race, and things kind of collapse on Jim. Final lap, final lap. Time to beat is 1.15. Time to beat is 1 minute, 15 seconds. What is going on? Nothing. Guys, timer still going? Or that's my stopwatch. Yeah, I filled out the expense reports. That took about five minutes, and then I closed two sales at lunchtime. So, about as productive as any other day, <laughs> if not more so. I figured I could throw it away now, or I could keep it for a couple months and then throw it away. I mean, it was really nice of Pam to make them, but. What am I going to do with a gold medal made of paper clips and an old yogurt lid? Give it to your lover so that at their job interview they come running back to you. That's the thing about that scene. Everyone wises up, and as soon as Michael and Dwight come back, it's basically, you know, instantly everyone's having a super fun time to just totally dissipates, and everyone goes back. And what was Jim thinking there where he's kind of like, guys, the time's still running? Uh, I don't know. Was he really surprised that everyone kind of stopped goofing around? Yeah, I guess he was just so enthusiastic about the event, he didn't want it to end. But I agree with you, that's not a realistic reaction for from everybody else. Well, he was really, yeah, I mean, he was really getting into it. I guess he just didn't want the whole thing to end, and he was having a lot of fun, and he was the big guy in charge and the, you know, the big organizer and everything else. And so all kind of crumbles and all falls apart, and Ryan, very quickly there, we see that little clip where he throws the metal away into the garbage and Pam kind of gives him this really sad eye look. That whole, you know, little bonding experience is all crumbling. It's all falling apart. Well, I mean, that shows Ryan being quite the ass. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not too difficult to just sort of stick that there for a little while and re- reminisce about the good time you had when the boss was out of that office. It's, <laughs> a, it's, it's those kind of people skills that got Ryan in trouble in season four. Yeah, I, I got to agree. Now, it's sort of like the Seinfeld episode where 
Jerry gets yelled at for throwing the card away without putting it on the refrigerator. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is the thing then. They, they, everyone kind of goes back to their work. Uh, Pam <laughs> had put everything on voicemail, and she goes back and, you know, says 59 voicemails. You know, Jim is the guy, and this is the thing that's kind of interesting about this episode, and, and we talked about this before a little bit, and uh, talked about it also in the Dundies, where Jim does something here now with the rest of this episode that he doesn't have to do, but he figures out a way to make everyone in the office come together. He figures out a way to include Michael so that he can get away with it, but he still ends up making Michael feel really good about himself, and everyone else in the office has a good time. And so there's really no one loses in this in this episode. It's you know it's a perfect, perfect happy ending. Michael. Yeah. What's going? What's going on? Nothing. I just want to congratulate you on your condo. Hey, would you mind coming out here for a second? I just have something for you. What's this? These are the closing ceremonies. Step up. Congratulations to Michael because he closed on his condo. So gold medal. I don't really know what to say. Um, not one for making speeches, but uh, my heart is very full at this moment. Why are you playing the national anthem? Because oh, your condo's in America. Those are the doves. Man, he, he pulled it out with the, yeah. the the crying eyes there and the great shot of the three men up on the podium exactly. there. Uh, what a great moment for the office. I love that. Exactly. It's kind of what I was saying before. You know, everything happened. Everybody's happy. Dwight's happy. Michael's happy. Jim's happy. Everyone in the office has a chance to kind of uh, get closure on their day. Uh, I don't know who came up with that visual gag thing with the, the or, uh, origami doves <laughs> on the little chain in the background. That was... Again, that was hilarious. You know, what can we say? It ended on a very happy note, very high note for everyone involved. What a great episode. Well, Kevin, if you uh, if you have the DVD, there's about eight minutes or so of deleted scenes for Office Olympics. And some of the scenes are fairly forgetful, but uh, there is a big prank scene that seems like it could have been the cold open. I'm not sure where else it would have possibly fit in the episode um, since Dwight leaves so immediately. Well, it had to be the cold open because it's at the beginning of the deleted scenes and everything else follows chronologically. Yeah, I suppose. I wonder why they came up with that other one then for the uh, <laughs> product placement for the Egg McMuffin sandwich. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but I thought this was a much better scene. I guess we could kind of describe it. Uh, sure. Well, basically, Pam uh, or Jim comes running in and gets Pam and says, Hey, um, I found Dwight's wallet in the parking lot. What should I do? And he's got, like, all the cards, like, all laid out neatly on the table. And Pam basically says, no, 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 I have 
I have a better idea here. Put everything back exactly the way it was. Now, I asked you just before we were uh, before we were recording this. I actually kind of thought at first that she was sort of critiquing, you know, again, kind of criticizing him by just saying, "Hey, you know, here's a big prank for you. Put it all back and then give it back to him." On the other hand, I, you know, you had a different opinion. I guess I came to believe in in your opinion as well. So, what was Pam's uh, big idea here? What was she doing? Well, they're thinking about what to do, how to get back at Dwight or whatever, and what ends up happening is they give the wallet back to Dwight and they say, hey, we found it in the parking lot. He asks, what did you do? And they say, nothing. We didn't touch anything. And he doesn't believe him. He immediately starts canceling all of his credit cards and everything else. And and so I know for, I mean, Pam had to know that that was going to be Dwight's reaction. And they didn't have to do anything to prank Dwight. Dwight pranked himself. I was a little surprised, actually, at first, that I thought that she was going to kind of shut him down there at the beginning. But, yeah, definitely Dwight's own paranoia gets the better of him. So, But it is kind of weird, I guess. I, it seemed like that would have been a perfect scene because they had a few other episodes in Season 2 where they started the cold open with a Dwight prank. I'm not really sure why they chose to cut that out. It was... This one was probably a little longer than the cold open that they did use, and I think they may have been still in the mode early in the season to think, well, we've got to use Ryan in some way <laughs> before they started writing him out of episodes and not even giving him many lines. So I think that there was probably some sentiment to probably keep the Ryan cold open in there. Looking at the list of uh, other deleted scenes, it uh, nothing really too major. A few... A few scenes at the uh, condo that get cut out. Um, like, like I said before, Toby talking about Dunderball and uh, a few other things. I don't know. Any other highlights that you want to talk about? No, I mean, to talk about the different bedrooms was kind of funny. Uh, it's definitely <laughs> good stuff to uh, to go check out on the DVD for season two if you haven't already uh, gotten that. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just stuff that. Oh. This is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Why well, didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. Kevin, I gotta say, let's talk a little bit about the uh, proposed office spinoff, uh, which has really, in my mind, kind of turned into a big fiasco. I, I can't think of any other word really to explain this. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been talking about it for a while. Um, NBC announced very far in advance that they were going to have this office spinoff with no name, no details, no information, that it was going to debut after the Super Bowl, that it was going to be this, you know, they're going to take some characters from our show and put them into the other show and make it all this big office block. Um, then we got casting information a little bit, just only in June. We got to, you know, uh, first hire uh, Aziz Ansari, I believe, was cast. And then we have Rashida Jones's name kept getting thrown around. And we had, um, you know, Michael Ozzyello was claiming that Amanda Pete was supposed to be the boss character. And all these things that were coming out, we didn't get any information, nothing from the uh, creators, nothing from Greg Daniels or Mike Schur talking about the show. Then we got information that Amy Poehler had been cast to be on the show. And we kind of talked about that a little bit on the blog. I know you're a big fan of hers, a little bit more of a a fan than I am, I guess. Yeah. Uh, And so we were kind of back and forth, well, is that going to work? Is is she going to fit as a boss, whatever? That came out, and then we got more information coming out saying, well, no one from the original show is going to move over to the other show. It was only going to be a show with similar sensibilities, um, a lot of different things. Then, at this event 
last month, we had president you know, of NBC talking about how that Amy Poehler show, that's not the real Office spinoff. It's a totally different show somehow. And, and the Office spinoff is still in existence, but it's not being developed. And now the Amy Poehler show, because she's pregnant, is going to be delayed anyway, and it's not going to be debuting after the Super Bowl. And the spinoff show is even less in production. And I, what the hell? I don't even know what to say. The only thing that we have news on is right now that they've announced that after the Super Bowl, we will be getting a regular one-hour length episode of The Office with no spinoff or Amy Poehler in sight. So, Kevin, what the hell are they doing? Well, clearly the guys at NBC are doing, again, once again, a crack-up job at their uh, business. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, this fiasco is, is probably about the most mild term you could use for this because it's really screwed up. And if they hadn't have come out early, and NBC did announce this information way earlier than they normally do about the spinoff and the fall schedule and all that, they didn't have to do it, but it, it's it's a big mess. They I think what they thought was, well, Daniels and company said they'll do a show, and we'll just announce it, and they'll come up with something great. And I, I know there's various rumors and reports that, the Daniels and company wanted to go in one direction, NBC wanted to go in another, and that's why I think they probably just picked up all their toys and gave up or whatever. And, you know, it's great that Amy Poehler is going to do some show, but if if it's in that documentary style, does it have to be an actual spinoff or can it just be inspired by the creators of? I, you know, those forced spinoffs we talked about on an earlier podcast are always kind of stupid and lame anyway. So maybe maybe calmer heads have prevailed and it's not going to be an actual spinoff, but just a new show by the people who created The Office. Well, that's maybe the that's, thing. at the end, you know, the best news of all. Well, that's the thing. I'm fine with that. But there, now, I mean, Ben Silver is claiming that, that there's two shows, that that Amy Poehler show exists, and then there's still another Office spinoff that has yet to be developed that's going to be developed. So no, I, I, think, I think that's him covering his ass a little well, bit. Well, maybe, I guess. I, you know... I really hope so, because I got to tell you the truth. I, we weren't really big, big, you know, big on the spinoff idea, anyway, because I don't want to see anybody. There's really nobody in the cast that I want to see leave and go to a different show. Um, we talked about maybe that Ed Helms we thought would be the biggest candidate to maybe go mm -hmm. somewhere else, but you know, that said, now this isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen mid-season, so the earliest we're going to see this is going to be maybe 2000, what, nine fall, probably at this yeah. point. Um, I know one of the big sticking points is that they wanted to have Steve Carell do a guest appearance in the premiere episode of this new, whatever the spinoff show is going to be. So, you know, I don't, who knows at this point. I guess just going to have to sit well, back and uh, watch. Well, and now we can start to speculate on what the special one-hour episode is going to be. Because when you have the one-hour special episode of The Office after the Super Bowl, you know, this is better be a material or something that everyone's going to be really interested in. So for all the people who are hoping that, you know, the fall premiere is going to come on and Jimmy Pamber is going to suddenly be engaged, well, you can forget about it now because I'll bet anyone a million dollars that it's engagement time right after the Super Bowl because what else would they possibly do? Maybe the birth of Jan's baby. But that the engagement is what the fans want. So it's but, gonna, you're going to have to wait until then, I'm sure. But isn't positioning the show after the Super Bowl, isn't that a bid to get new viewers, really? Well, Because I don't know if perhaps. that's going to be a big appeal to new viewers. Now, I 
I'll tell you what I would like to see as far as uh, the episode goes. I think it would be awesome if they made, like, an office Super Bowl party and uh, uh, played that after the Super Bowl and maybe had something going on, you know, whatever. Maybe it's been done already too much with dinner party last year. But I, I don't know. I thought, I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. It's at least one kind of quote-unquote holiday that they haven't touched yet. Sure. They, since our last episode, we had the official Emmy nominations. And I know you're a little bit miffed because they're originally they came out the the top ten list, and both Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski were on the top ten list, but they did not make the cut in their uh, respective categories. Yeah, the the office did really good in the Emmy nominations. Nominated for what nine Emmys, including outstanding comedy series. And the way that these nominations work is that you're nominated for a specific episode. So the series nomination was for local ad. We also had nominations for Steve Carell, lead actor for Goodbye Toby. I think that's a lock, man. I, I maybe just really love that episode so much. I don't know how you can not watch that episode and and see that tour de force that Steve Carell uh, in all his flunders and hating joy. I don't know how you can not just fall in love with that show. Yeah, it's a, it's a good episode for him. Uh, we also had nominations for Rain Wilson for supporting actor for Money, uh, directing for com- comedy series for Paul Lieberstein for Money. Also, Paul Figg for Goodbye Toby directing. We had a writing nomination for Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stubnitsky for Dinner Party, which <laughs> certainly is a very well. But as a as a as a for a writing aspect, I think it's a very writer-heavy episode. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And we had the picture editing, um, Dave Rogers and Dean Holland for Goodbye Toby, and finally sound mixing uh, by a bunch of people for local ad. And as you noted. A big lot of nothing for Jenna Fisher and, again, a John Krasinski. So I know that, you know, maybe season four wasn't the greatest Jim season, but uh, certainly compared to season three, it was a big improvement, and I feel like Krasinski kind of got screwed on that. Well, you know what? That's the thing, though. Because I, I was thinking about this, and I last year when Jenna Fisher didn't win, and I know a lot of people were upset about that, too. But, I mean, let's face it. You know, they're kind of the straight men in the show, where they're they're they kind of absorb the humor. As you know, they're not like super flamboyant and crazy. Like Dwight is a big kind of crazy flamboyant character. Uh, Michael's a big crazy flamboyant character. Last year, you know, Jamie Lee Presley won in that category for playing probably the most ridiculous, cartoonish character that there mm-hmm. could be. Um, you know, maybe it's too subtle for uh, the Emmy noms. I don't know. Well, again, I think that Krasinski in particular did really good work this year showing some of the emotions and um, kind of the growing up aspect, too. I mean, I know that they're only nominated for one episode, and that has a factor in, you know, maybe if that particular episode isn't showing all the range of emotions and, you know, maybe over a season you show them, but in any one episode you kind of only show funny or sad or confident or whatever. So that's a flawed system, but well, were there I will any, be watching it come Emmy night to see what happens. What big, I don't know off the top of your head, I mean, what big, like, Pam-centric episodes or Jim-centric episodes really were there as, as standouts this season? Well, I guess that's what I'm saying is that I, I, I can remember moments throughout the season that were, I think, were standouts for Jim, but I'm not sure that is a specific um, episode there really is that moment, especially compared to, say, last year with the season finale for Jenna Fisher. You know, that, that look at the, end of the, at the end of the season was just 
classic and you know book. I mean that should have won the Emmy for her right there, especially over Jimmy Presley. God help us. But in any case, um, well, at least she wasn't nominated. She didn't even get nominated this time. So yeah, yeah, she was at least nominated last year for that. So all right. We talked about this the last episode that the writing staff was going to be making an appearance at the Comic Con International at San Diego this this uh, summer, and NBC did a very good job of posting a lot of you know blogs and they, they posted a video of the full conference and everything. So really, kudos to them for going the extra mile, and that's for the office, you know, heroes, Night Rider, all this stuff they did. They really kind of made a big effort to get that stuff up online, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got to be honest, Kevin, I, I started watching the office uh, panel and it was just same old kind of questions that I've heard so many times. You know, where do you get your inspiration for the office? You know, did you ever work in an office? That kind of stuff. Now, did you glean any gems out of that video? I gleaned the same gems you got, which was that I didn't get any gems. <laughs> yeah, I actually read, and, and believe it or not, I read uh, a news posting that said, Wow, that was so informational. Um, for in fact, like I, I learned that John Krasinski was the one that filmed the Scranton intro. Oh, my God, we've known that since 2004. So I mean, who have we? Who hasn't known that? <laughs> we're, I mean, obviously we're office nerds, but um, yeah, I was a little disappointed that there. I, you know, I thought for sure there was going to be at least some kind of sequel or uh, spinoff news, but based on the way that that kind of flamed out, I guess it's understandable. But still, exactly. everyone uh, was there, and everyone had a good time, it looked like. Unfortunately, it was just a big repeat kind of of a lot of the questions that we've already heard before. But if you're interested in watching the video, you can either go to uh, TWSSpodcast.com and click on the Hulu or the NBC link there, or just go directly to NBC.com and check out their Comic-Con footage. All right. Next up in the news, we got a little spoiler information for the season premiere few things so before you get into it kevin i want to tell anybody if you're really super hyper sensitive about spoilers to fast forward your ipod about three minutes all right well uh well matt uh your uh, long lost cousin rich summer from abc's <laughs> amc's Mad Men is going to guest star as an art institute classmate of pam's apparently several shots of the two laughing together have sparked rumors that summer will be an extra slice of bread between PB and J. Well, you know I'm what? Cur- <laughs> I gotta say with that that I wish that that guy was my cousin, um, and I get some set access perhaps for the show here. But yeah, so <laughs> Rich Summer uh, plays Harry Crane on AB- AMC's Mad Men, and I don't know about you, but I, I kind of got into that show now very recently, so I'm enjoying that uh, second season right now. Um, but he's making a guest appearance, as you said, as supposedly some kind of love interest. And you and I were talking before that, um, you know, if they really break him up or they really put some kind of thing in between the two of them, I don't know. Didn't we talk about that last at the season premiere episode, that uh, how ridiculous that was going to be if they broke up <laughs> or something yeah. happened during those three months that they were away from yeah. each other? So well, I don't know. Well, we've, we've, we've also talked about Rich Summer, you know, he doesn't share the good looks that you have, so he is no threat for uh, John, Krasinski, John Krasinski. Oh, good so lord. He's a bit of a troll. Anyway, well, apparently, uh, crew was filming out there at USC, and uh, you know, it sounds like they're going to be doing some summer flashbacks of some sort uh, during that premiere episode, so that'll be kind of cool. Maybe we'll see some of the actual summer instead of having that big gap like we always seem to get. 
Well, you told me that uh, you, you thought you'd heard or got some information that they were going to be doing every segment as a month of the summer. Is that what you thought? That's right. All right. So I, definitely, you know, it's a season first, I guess. We're going to be seeing more information about what happens there with Pam and Art School. I know that they were filming, like you said, on campus. They filmed shots of her being in class, um, her talking to some professors and some other things. And also, E! Uh, Watch with Kristen here announces today that they're also shooting some scenes at the UN, USC hospital, uh, which was supposed to stand in for a Costa Rican hospital. So perhaps uh, something very grisly has happened to our friend Toby Flenderson. But, you know, I was thinking when you mentioned the hospital that it probably would be like he's working there, but you're right. It would be much funnier if something bad happened to him. Killed by a shark while he was trying to surf or something. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't think I could close the door on poor Toby like that. Well, all right. And uh, the other thing, Michael Oziello over at EW.com had this cryptic quote to say about the premiere. He said it'll either go down as the funniest Office episode ever or NBC's most blatant piece of cross-promotion or some combination of both. Now, what on earth do you think that could possibly mean? Is Michael Scott going to be going on The Biggest Loser or something? Family Feud, uh, American Gladiators, I don't know. Yeah, you know, when you hear the words NBC and cross-promotion, it's never a good sign. So now Asiello thinking that this might be the funniest episode ever does give me some positive vibes, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah, we'll just have to see. I guess it's kind of weird. Um, the only thing I was thinking of, maybe, you know, maybe Michael goes on Last Comic Standing or something. I don't know what else could possibly be. Oh, yeah, that How, would be, that would be, that's believable. I thought for a second that since they did the Family Feud show that maybe they would have some kind of, like, cast or some kind of episode, but nah, that seems way too corny. I don't know. I can't see that happening, but I guess we'll have to see. I'm not that that cross promotion thing. Yeah, it really leaves me scratching my head. <laughs> All right. Well, next, uh, B.J. Novak is a bastard. Kevin, did you know that? Oh, I, I heard about that. That's true. <laughs> yes, he is a bastard. He's an inglorious bastard. Um, B.J. Novak is in talks to play one of the soldiers in the movie Inglorious Bastards, Quentin Tarantino's long gestating film about a band of Jewish resistance fighters in Vichy-era France. Casting is being finalized on Bastards, which is expected to shoot in the fall in Europe and wrap in time for a potential con debut in May. And Brad Pitt is in talks to play the leader of the band of fighters. So there you go, little B.J. Uh, stepping up. Uh, but Kevin, I gotta tell you, in my opinion, his biggest war crime was the beard. <laughs> of course. Well, it's nice to see B.J. Novak getting some acting gigs. Uh, you know, he has was blinking and missed some cameo and knocked up, but he hasn't been in too many things. So. Yeah, and his role in the office obviously says getting a little more uh, on the writer side of things. And of course, Ryan carted away in handcuffs last season. So, you know, how is he gonna fit into? Uh, well, that might be one of those segments that we get during this summer episode to show him in his prison orange or something. Well, if he's in if he's in jail, that would explain sort of a you know Ryan not being on the show for a while because B.J. Novak is filming out in uh, in Europe or something. Well, so. there you go. That makes perfect sense. Well, um, August twentieth. Are you counting down the days until the debut of The Rocker, Kevin? The Rocker. You know, I am looking forward to The Rocker, um, not for the reasons you might think. 
Uh, of course, Rain Wilson is in that movie. Got delayed almost a month. But I am not looking forward to Rain Wilson. I'm looking forward to my girlfriend, Emma Stone, <laughs> from Superbad, who has a co-starring role. Uh, well, yeah, I got to say that the preview clips have not inspired me with confidence. A lot of nut jokes and uh, him hitting himself in the head with things. Uh, I don't know. Not looking too great. I guess we'll see how the reviews play out. But uh, Rain Wilson is currently doing the rounds of promotion right now. And uh, I was reading an article today, and one of the things that he mentioned is that he's actually setting up a new website called soulpancake.com. Um, what is this about? What is this comedy? No, it has nothing to do with anything with the show. Uh, as we talked about before, Rain Wilson is a practicer of the Baha'i religion, and this soulpancake.com is actually uh, a website that he's setting up that is going to kind of try to deal with or talk about religious issues, I guess. And I get a little audio clip here that's currently on the website, and I'll let Rain explain what this is all about. Hi. I wrote a little song for you. It goes like this. My heart flows like a flower. I am sick of spirituality being airy-fairy, hippy-dippy, and precious. I want to have a debate about life's big questions. I want to delamify talking about God and religion. Soul Pancake? is where spirituality and creativity meet. Want to join us? Show us. Your pancake. So there you go. You want to discuss the big questions of life with Rain Wilson? You can head on over to soulpancake.com. Right now the whole site is nothing more than that video and a place you can upload avatars, which he's calling um, spatu fists. Basically pictures, either real pictures or photoshops of people holding spatulas in their hands. Um, the best picture, the best avatar, whatever that people make, will reportedly win an autographed copy of the guitar, or uh, an autographed, uh, the smashed guitar that he just smashed in that video with an autograph by Rain Wilson there. So uh, it's going to go up sometime in the fall. So I think it's kind of interesting. I just want to check it out. I think Green Wilson needs uh, some less free time. <laughs> oh, come on, man. You need to get some spatula in there to flip your soul pancake, my friend. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I'm still happy with the hippy-dippy, airy-fairy, uber-precious kind of spirituality. It's just me. <laughs> All right. Well, check it out at uh, soulpancake.com. All right. Well, Kevin, Season 4 DVD is coming out on September 2nd. Uh, usual assortment of stuff. I'm going to put this out there one more time. Uh we have, if you go to That's What She Said, our webpage, TWSSpodcast.com, in the right sidebar, I have an order link to pre-order the Season 4 DVD set. Now, the last time I talked about this, the price was at $31.99. It's gone down to $30.99, so a buck cheaper. Anyone that did pre-order already will get the cheapest price. So for $30.99, order through Amazon, a portion of your purchase price will be kicked back to us here at That's What She Said to help defray production costs. And we've never had ads. We've never asked you for money before. Um, if you're going to order the set, 
if you're going to buy it from Amazon. I'm asking you out there. We have a lot of listeners. I know based on the downloads, we got almost 10,000 downloads for a lot of our episodes and, and some even higher. If you like the show, if you want to support us, please go on over to our webpage, TWSSpodcast.com, and click that order link. Now, I know that some of the other big box stores, Best Buy and Target and whatever, they're going to have some little crappy little thing, some little freebie giveaway, perhaps, for the set. And if, you know, I can't blame you. If you want to have your little mini uh, Dundee trophy like they gave away last year or whatever, you know, do what you feel like you have to do. But I would really appreciate it, and Kevin would appreciate it. And I know it would make baby Jesus smile. So if you could stop by and help us out there. It would be greatly appreciated. All right, one other thing here. If you can't get enough of my brilliant insights, I have one answer for you, my friend. You can follow me on Twitter. Yes, I've joined the 21st century. You can go to twitter.com slash summermat, S-O-M-M-E-R-M-A-T-T, and follow my feed. This is not a dedicated That's What She Said feed. I will occasionally post when we're doing episodes or when the new episode will be available, but this is just my own personal account. Um, we might end up in the future do a That's What She Said news and other kind of office-focused Twitter feeds. So if you are interested in stalking me, feel free. Um, Kevin, we're going to try to get you up on board here with this, but I don't know if you have anything interesting to say. Well, I'm sure I do. In fact, I, <laughs> I'm going to put the challenge. I'm, I think I can get more Twitter friends than you. Maybe that'll be a... Oh. Give me the insight to provide really brilliant Twittering. I've already got a lead on you, then, man. You're already behind. You better get going. Get that account oh, set I, up. I, I'll make that up in no time. All right. Well, you can go to that's what she said or twsspodcast.com, and again, look on the sidebar for the follow me on Twitter link. That'll take you right there. Otherwise, go ahead and search for me on uh, on the Twitter site if you want, and uh, we'll let you know when Kevin gets his stuff in gear. And we'll see what happens in the battle of the Twitter stalkers. All right. Well, Kevin, uh, you did a little roundup of the cast blogs. Anything of note to share? Yeah, there's some real interesting stuff here. First of all, from Creed Thoughts on August 7th, he wrote, We're having a party at work tomorrow to celebrate 080808 Day, which is great because I'll be able to eat enough that I won't have to buy food for a week. That's my favorite part about work parties. They'll end up saving me a lot of moolah in the long run. And then Creed goes on to talk about how what his parties would be. They should really make me the head of that party uh, committee thing. I'd be amazing. <laughs> so good Creed thoughts there. Well, now, we know uh, you get a lot of peach cobbler, at least. But, uh. <laughs> now, Brian Baumgartner, his blog is written in uh, character as Kevin. And this has got some interesting insight to the new season. He says that things have been going okay here in Scranton. Holly still seems pretty into me. And I really like her. I think that we can uh, be something special, not like Stacy and her meanness. <laughs> we haven't talked yet about disclosing our relationship to HR, but I figure since she is HR, she already knows about that. So technically, I am not doing anything wrong. And also, I haven't been here. I haven't seen her for a couple of weeks. She works in the other part of the office, so it is hard to get back there during the day sometimes. So maybe Holly will be in and out of some of the first episodes there. <laughs> well, we can hope so. Uh, Angela Franz will want to go and check out her breastfeeding iPod playlist, the list of songs <laughs> oh, that God. she uses when she breastfeeds her new child. So That is probably the scariest thing I've ever heard. And 
there's also, if, if you haven't seen this before, um, on NBC.com, the Adventures with Angela page, there's a new video that's been posted where Angela kind of asks three of the writers why she is not in the webisodes, which is kind of amusing as well. So that might be a little better than uh, the breast pump thing. I don't know, I don't know otherwise. All right, and then finally, uh, Jenna Fisher, she's always the most prol prolific blogger, and she wrote in her back-to-work posting, I know what happens. I got my script for the first episode of Season 5. It is written by our Emmy-nominated writers, Gene Stupniski and Lee Eisenberg. Needless to say, it is awesome. I love everything about it, and I can't wait to start shooting. I saw this question in my comments. Quote, so, John C. Riley was on Jimmy Kimmel the other night, and he said that after filming Dewey Cox, he gave you the junk sack that he wore in the sex scenes. Did he really give that to you, or was he kidding? Says Bethy from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And Jenna writes, the final answer is yes, he gave me his junk sack. I treasure it. I have no idea what that even means, but okay, it sounds really nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sack for his junk. You know, they film one of those scenes. Yeah, I get it. But <laughs> finally, if you heard a rumor that I covered myself with fake tattoos and played Guitar Hero until 3 a.m. this weekend, that rumor is true. I rocked it. So again, Jenna Fisher, still the charming um, friend that we'd all love to have. Well, Kevin, you missed one actually from Jenna Fisher's blog. The most recent entry was hijacked by Rain Wilson, who has threat he's kidnapped Jenna Fisher and he has threatened to not let her go unless the rocker reaches eighteen million dollars during its opening weekend. So I, if you are concerned Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's uh, it, that is the most recent post on Jenna Fisher's blog page as of today anyway. So <laughs> Christ. Head on over there if you want to see Jenna Fisher out alive. You have to pony up the I, I'm, for the I might just have to go and see House Bunny <laughs> to get my Emma Stone fix just now. A, as a form of protest. Okay. Well, you know, um, cast appearances. We only really, we have two really cast appearances that are new. Um, Craig Robinson, of course, is going to be on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson to, to pimp Pineapple Express. So, Kevin, have you seen Pineapple Express yet? I have not. I was on vacation last week. So I All right. Well, that. I know you're a big fan of uh, film spotting, as am I, and I heard your voicemail on the last episode again, so kudos to you. Uh, yep. the, the Adam and Maddie were not fans, and particularly they singled out Craig Robinson as being rather tedious in the film. So I don't know. I haven't seen it. All I can go by, uh, let us know what you thought if you saw his performance in the film what you thought of that so he'll be on the 13th and if you get this <laughs> i don't know it might be over by the time you get this hopefully but uh, uh rain wilson then will be also on the late late show with craig ferguson to pimp the rocker on the 19th of this month all right well uh next new episode is well season five premiere kevin september 25th 2008 a full hour long uh delightful episode of course now um you know, we said, and we mentioned this in the last podcast, that we were going to talk about the webisodes. Uh, unfortunately, that's it. You know, all we're getting in this for the summer webisodes is those four two-minute apps. Not a whole lot to talk about there. So I don't know. We can't really dedicate a whole episode to talking about that unless it'll be a very, very short <laughs> episode. And maybe that's what we'll do. I don't know. If you want us to, if you want to hear us talk about the webisodes. Um, 
you know, send us an email, send us a comment, whatever you want to do, and uh, that might get us off our butts and uh, and get something together. But as it stands right now, it feels it's like it's you know it's such a kind of small thing to really dissect. I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much, you know, with a, with an eight minute episode. Yeah, a little disappointing in the length. Uh, we can talk if we uh, get the opportunity about uh, the quality of those things. All right, so let us know if you want us to do a special episode or what do you want us to do with these. Um, you know, theoretically, we could talk about them, you know, whenever we do our next episode. But uh, at the stands right now, we'll leave it up to you to decide. And uh, that's about going to do it for us this time. Kevin, join us in about a month or so, I guess, for the next episode. Uh, please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and spread the word in the various The Office related forums. Every little bit helps. And really, Kevin, you and I were laughing at this before a few weeks ago when we were looking at some of the one star reviews uh, that were posted on our account. Now, most of the, most of the 245 reviews that we have so far are very positive and uh, it's great and you know if, if you really honestly have a problem with what we're doing that's fine i'm not going to criticize you for your opinion but some of these are a little amusing um so go out there if you you know want these no good nick one star guys to come out there give us your own opinion i guess they're pretty hilarious all right well uh music for the episodes provided by the pod show pod save music network Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember, head on over to NBC.com slash The Office during the week for additional deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, and more. For Kevin Crossman, I'm Matt Summer, wishing you a happy Olympic season.